You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today we're bringing you an episode from Law & Disorder, where we dive into the world of true crime stories with memorable cases that have lasting effects for law enforcement. Whenever a crime happens, especially when a particularly violent crime like serial murder happens, one of the first questions that both civilians and law enforcement are often asking is, what kind of person could commit something like this? And furthermore, what could motivate them to do such a thing? We imagine that violent crime can only be caused by monsters who emerge from the shadows at night and prey on the weak and vulnerable. People who are the furthest thing from us, quote unquote, normal people who live law abiding lives and never once even consider murdering someone in cold blood for sport. But when the perpetrators of violent crime are caught, it's often found that they're the neighbor that was just a little bit off. The teenager who made cryptic posts on the Internet or somehow even more frightening, it's the doting family man who serves on the board of the local church. The fact that monsters live among us creates more questions, and it makes finding the answers to those initial two questions even more pressing. These questions lie at the core of criminal psychology, a psychological discipline which is the study of the views, thoughts, intentions, actions, and reactions of criminals and suspects. And there are many aspects of criminal psychology, but what tends to capture the fascination of the public is criminal profiling, which is the practice of creating psychological profiles of offenders to help law enforcement officers narrow down or even begin the search for suspects. In recent decades, criminal profiling has been glorified in pop culture with television shows like Criminal Minds and CSI. But these over-dramatized episodes fail to show the true intricacies of criminal profiling, and furthermore, they fail to recognize the decades of psychological research that made criminal profiling possible. But in 2017, Netflix debuted their new thriller series titled Mindhunter, which focused on criminal profiling, but it was a bit different. The series was based on a memoir of the same name, written by retired FBI Special Agent John E. Douglas. Douglas also consulted as a writer on the show. And the memoir tells the story of Special Agent Douglas's 25-year career as one of the country's pioneering criminal profilers with the FBI's Investigative Support Unit. And a large portion of the book details how Douglas and his colleagues made the case for criminal profiling and the merits of behavioral science in general for law enforcement. A great deal of this work included sitting down and interviewing some of history's most notorious violent criminals, including the co-ed killer Ed Kemper, cult leader Charles Manson, and the cold-blooded Richard Speck. Throughout his career, profiles that Douglas and his team helped to create caught notorious serial murderers like Wayne Williams, who was officially convicted of killing two of the nearly 30 individuals who were murdered between 1979 and 1981 as part of the Atlanta child murders case, and even Dennis Rader, the church elder and family man who murdered 10 people between Wichita and Park City, Kansas, between 1974 and 1991, and sent haunting letters to law enforcement and the media detailing his crimes under the pseudonym BTK, which stood for Bind, Torture, Kill. The series is a dramatization with many details that are embellished for dramatic effect, and the characters are amalgamations of those initial behavior analysts on the team. But Mindhunter is one of the first series that brings the birth of this science into our homes on the small screen. 
And while it was canceled after two seasons, it helped spark greater intrigue into the origins of criminal profiling, especially the work of the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. So today on Law and Disorder, we're going to talk about the real Mindhunters. From their humble beginnings in the mid-1970s to today, the scope of the Behavioral Analysis Unit has expanded far beyond studying serial killers, especially with the rise in mass casualty events like school shootings within the United States over the last 20 years. So let's dig into this rich and really interesting history today. So the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit was created in 1972 as a way to consult with criminal justice professionals worldwide on different, unusual, or bizarre cases. The basis of their work at the time was referred to as criminal profiling, which is the practice of using knowledge of psychology to understand why criminals perpetrate the types of crimes that they do, especially in cases of particularly violent crime where there's not an obvious suspect. Criminal profiling can help investigators in these cases to find a place to start when looking for the perpetrator of a crime, or even ensure that they have left no stone unturned in an investigation. So criminal profiling, or rather criminal psychology in general, is not something that was invented in 1972. The discipline has been practiced for centuries, most notably in the 1800s England, when investigators utilized criminal psychology to gain insight into the individual perpetrating heinous murders as Jack the Ripper. Criminal psychology and profiling are not substitutes for traditional detective work. In the earliest days of this practice, investigators would take information from eyewitnesses, details from the state of a crime scene, and victims to try and understand what type of person would commit such a crime and why. Especially in the late 1800s, criminal profiling was a way to follow up on leads and even create further leads in an investigation to accurately close a case. Into the 20th century and even today, the process of criminal psychology still very much revolved around the principle of understanding who commits certain crimes and why they commit them. But now there's a far more scientific and methodical approach to the practice, and we greatly have the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit and former Special Agent John E. Douglas and his team to thank for this. As I mentioned before, Douglas was one of the founding agents of the Behavioral Science Unit, and he and his team created the methodology behind criminal profiling and obtained their basis for an understanding of criminal behavior on hours of firsthand interviews with the most violent offenders to begin to identify patterns of behavior within the criminal mind. As part of their research, Douglas and the agents of this early BAU interviewed violent offenders like terrorists and serial killers, a term that was coined by fellow FBI agent Robert Ressler in the mid-1970s to classify murders committed by the same individual engaging in repeating killings to satisfy the fantasy of a quote-unquote perfect kill. From these interviews, agents were able to identify psychological patterns within criminal thought processes and identify correlating patterns in behavior. In terms of a serial killer, there are a few psychological patterns that Douglas and his team at the FBI identified, and they really remain true to this day. First, as a group, serial killers do typically suffer from a variety of personality disorders. These disorders can include general psychopathy, an antisocial personality, and others. However, in spite of this, most serial killers are not considered insane under the law. 
And this is a fairly complex way of saying that despite the fact that a serial killer may suffer from some type of personality disorder, they are typically conscious of their decision to hunt and kill their victims. This means that they are legally considered sane under the law, so most serial killers would not qualify for an insanity plea in court. Additionally, a serial killer can come from a wide breadth of intelligence levels. The media, and especially the crime dramas that we love to watch, like to depict serial killers as nefarious geniuses who can evade and outsmart law enforcement, but this is not necessarily true. Yes, some serial murderers are of above-average intelligence. Think of mathematician-turned-doomsday-bomber Ted Kaczynski, who was discovered to be the Unabomber. But not every serial killer is quote-unquote intelligent. The truth is, one could be a serial killer with any IQ. However, there is no generic template for a serial killer. Serial killers, or even thrill killers who commit crimes of mass murder like domestic terrorism, are typically motivated by the very personal events that occurred within their lifetimes. So there is no 100% perfect profile of a serial murderer to go off of, or even a violent offender in general. But typically, there is the idea that the act of hunting and killing is a thrill for this offender. Sometimes it's even sexually thrilling. It has been observed that violent offenders who are sexually motivated eroticized violence during their development, or as they grew up, if that makes sense. For these offenders, violence and sexual gratification are inexplicably intertwined in their psyche, but that's not the case for every serial killer. So finally, what is observed is that more research can always be done on this topic to further understand the psychology of the violent offender, and this research is still very much happening today. But even in the 1970s, when the Bureau of Behavioral Science was just being introduced, creating behavioral profiles of violent offenders was just one part of their work. However, the creation of the criminal profile is crucial to inform other parts of this department's role. In addition to the actual practice of behavioral analysis, the Behavioral Analysis Unit assists law enforcement in the creation of interview strategy by combining behavioral principles, psychological concepts, and science-based methods to prepare for, conduct, and analyze an interview of particularly violent individuals. They assist law enforcement in cultivating specific investigative strategies for these crimes to assist departments in amplifying the effectiveness of their investigation efforts and to help them properly prioritize their resources. Lastly, they utilize fact-based methods of threat analysis that focus on an individual's pattern of thinking and behavior to determine whether they are moving forward with an attack on an identified target and to what extent that plan may be moving forward. Many of the cases that the Behavioral Analysis Unit is called in to assist with are child abductions, suspected or known serial murder, and in recent decades, events of mass killing, particularly acts of terrorism. And they are called to consult on new, active, and even cold cases in local, state, federal, and tribal jurisdictions. And while they may not be called into action for every violent crime, the work that they do helps to inform investigative efforts throughout the country. As the relevance of behavioral analysis became more prevalent, the behavioral analysis unit began to create more specialized units that could make their efforts in assisting investigations more effective. In 1985, additional training in behavioral science became a priority, and the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime, or NCAVC, was established by the FBI Academy to provide instruction, research, and investigative support. 
The behavioral analysts in the NCAVC provide investigative, interview, and prosecution strategies to law enforcement agencies in these critical, high-profile cases. They use their knowledge of behavioral patterns to help law enforcement link together certain cases and even generate unknown offender profiles. Their work also helps law enforcement in approaching the media in these types of cases. For many violent offenders, they will follow coverage of their cases, not necessarily because they fear being caught, but again, for the thrill that that attention brings them. Additionally, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VICAP, was created the same year to link seemingly unrelated criminal investigations and share investigative data from violent crimes across the country. The VICAP hosts a web national crime database, which houses a multitude of criminal cases and can help determine patterns between seemingly unrelated crimes. Nearly 5,000 law enforcement agencies across all 50 states have submitted more than 100,000 cases that include homicides, sexual assaults, missing persons cases, and discoveries of unidentified human remains. They use this data from the database to provide a nationwide investigative repository of violent crimes, and this allows them to create crime analysis products like timelines or map for law enforcement partners. They can provide case linkage analysis, and they can even facilitate the coordination of communication and investigation efforts among law enforcement agencies for the apprehension of violent serial offenders. In 1996, the Child Abduction and Serial Killer Unit, CASKU, was established to focus on child abductions and disappearances, as well as serial or mass murder cases. The FBI has long been a crucial force in returning abducted children home. One of their most notable child abduction cases occurred in 1932 when the 10-month-old son of American pilot Charles Lindbergh was abducted and later murdered in New Jersey. A huge priority of child abduction cases both then and today is to return the child home alive, and time is of the essence. The CASKU is able to focus solely on these cases to identify the type of person that an abductor might be, whether they're related to the child or not, and how to best communicate with that abductor to return the child safely home. In terms of serial murder... And I feel like it's responsible to say that most murders that occur are not committed by a serial killer. According to an FBI statistic, only about 1% of murders each year are committed by a serial killer. However, as I mentioned earlier, serial killers are far more methodical in their execution of their crimes. So having a specialized unit that understands the motivations of serial killers can be crucial in connecting cases together and ultimately capturing their perpetrators. Additionally, mass casualty events like mass shootings and acts of domestic terrorism, which unfortunately have continued to rise in number throughout the last decade, fall under this division's area of expertise. And in the wake of 9-11, with the rise of targeted violence, the Behavioral Threat Assessment Center, or BTAC, was created in 2010 to support the prevention of terrorism and targeted violence within the United States. Rather than simply waiting for a terrorist event or targeted act of violence to occur, the work of the BTAC is to recognize the warning signs of potential terrorist behavior and attempt to stop these catastrophic acts before they occur. There are many terrorism prevention agencies and strategies in American law enforcement, but the BTAC is the only national-level, multi-agency, multidisciplinary task force that's focused on the prevention of terrorism and targeted violence through the application of behavioral science-based operational support, training, and research. 
The BTAC is staffed with special agents, behavioral analysts, and mental health professionals who work together to provide threat assessment and threat management support to law enforcement partners at the local, state, municipal, federal, and tribal level. They even partner with campus police departments and community stakeholders to prevent terrorist attacks and other acts of targeted violence. When called upon, most of these threat management teams include representatives from law enforcement, human resources, legal systems, social services, school administration, and organizational security. This work expanded in 2018 when the BTAC established the Nationwide Threat Assessment and Threat Management Initiative, otherwise known as TATM Initiative, in response to the tragedies in Las Vegas, Nevada, and the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which remains the deadliest shooting at a high school in the United States history. Having a greater understanding of the psychology of criminal offenders, and especially the most violent of those offenders, has long been a source of public fascination. And we humans, as inquisitive creatures, are desperate to find a simple answer. But the work of these real mind hunters of the Behavioral Analysis Unit shows us that while we are far closer to having a greater understanding, there will never be a definitive answer about why violent criminals do what they do. But due to their work, we have far greater understanding of that human psyche, especially that criminal human psyche, and it helps us to make our communities in general safer. If you're interested in learning more about Special Agent John E. Douglas and his work with the early BAU, I highly recommend picking up a copy of Mindhunter. And if you're an avid consumer of quality true crime like I am, it is definitely worth the read. Douglas has also written some other books about his law enforcement career, and they are just as fascinating. So thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Law and Disorder on Precinct 444. Remember to check out all of our other shows on the network and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday, with the occasional special episodes of Icons dropping on Tuesdays. Additional thanks to Christopher Mitchell for editing today's episode, and we hope to see you again soon at The Precinct. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the Precinct. Thank you.